Our scripture lessons this morning, as we continue to take up the theme of we interrupt this program, looking at the various interruptions that perhaps are means by which the good Lord is seeking to wake us up to perhaps a new chapter of life. Our scripture lessons come from Luke chapter 1 and also Luke chapter 19. Uh, the first, a text which very seldom gets read on Palm Sunday, but one in which is featured uh, our next character of interruption, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Hear the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Our second lesson from Luke chapter 19, beginning at the 28th verse. And after Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he came near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as had been told them, and they were untying the colt, and its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives. And the hall multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. 
I suspect for most of us, when we look back upon our lives, can recall an important conversation in which somebody shared something with us or shared maybe even something about us that for whatever reason stuck. It made sense, it turned on a light bulb, it dawned upon us a new idea or it confirmed for us an idea that had already been growing inside of our souls. Maybe it didn't even come through a face-to-face conversation, maybe it came through reading a book or watching a television show or listening to a speaker, but something was shared and the seed of an idea got planted into the soil of your being. I've shared with some of you that in high school and college I spent a good amount of my energy and time resisting the idea that I was being called to the parish ministry. Parish ministry was the family business for the McConnells for generations and I being the youngest did all I could to resist the idea that I was just another one of those McConnell boys to fall in line. All these McConnells becoming pastors it was beginning to look a little bit like it was the only work we could get. But then I had a face-to-face conversation. I had a face-to-face conversation with, of all people, a United States senator that changed my life, in which he encouraged me not to go into law and to politics and to government service, which was my first idea, but to choose what was in his mind the higher calling to go to seminary and to be a pastor. And his words to me, for whatever reason, in that moment were a game changer. Now, I have no idea whether I still would have become a pastor had I not had that conversation. But the fact is, I did have that conversation, and it came at a time when I was ready to receive the idea. I suppose you've had that same kind of experience. I suppose there are people in your past to whom you wish you could go and say, you know, Something you said really stuck with me. Something you said really stuck with me. Now, those kinds of things happen at a personal level, those sticky, life-changing words and ideas, but they also happen on the stage of history. From time to time, figures appear on the national or world stage, and they utter an idea, and for the world, the notion is internalized, and the idea sticks. It is an idea whose time has come. When when Thomas Jefferson penned his words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal for a majority majority of colonists, it was an idea whose time had come. When, when Abraham Lincoln set forth his Emancipation Proclamation and pronounced that all persons held as slaves are and henceforth shall be free for the divided union, it was an idea whose time had come. When suffragist Susan B. Anthony said, men their rights and nothing more, women their rights and nothing less. It was for many an idea whose time had come when Martin Luther King Jr. stood before the mall in Washington and said, I have a dream for at least part of our country. It was a dream whose time had come. Something you said really stuck with me. Something you said really stuck with our nation. Something you said really stuck with our world. Had there not been a Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln or Susan B. Anthony or Martin Luther King, who knows what might have happened. Perhaps somebody else would have said the same thing but in a different way. Victor Hugo said, no army can resist though an idea whose time has come. 
So when the poor Galilean peasant girl receives, as we're told by Luke, a visit from an angel, and the angel tells her that though she's a virgin, she will conceive in her womb and bear a son, and that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I suppose when it comes to interruptions, this one takes the cake. Someone, Mary, is about, to ready to, about ready to mount the stage of world history and pronounce a new kingdom, a new idea, a new vision for life, and for whatever reason, the good Lord, Mary, has chosen you to be the first to receive the word, to receive the message, to receive the seed. Now, after making this pronouncement, the angel, before he departs, allows for a moment. He allows for this moment, this sacred moment, and it is a moment given over to Mary to respond. The angel leaves this pregnant moment for Mary to ponder and respond, for Mary to consider in her heart what she was being invited into. We don't know how long it was. We don't know how agonizing it was. We don't know how anxious it was. But there was this moment of pondering and consideration. And then Mary says her longest line in all the New Testament, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. As little as she understood it, as little as she could imagine its implications and its perilous path, Mary receives this word of the angel as an idea whose time had come. We don't know what would have happened if Mary had put up a fight. We don't know what would have happened if Mary had asked to be spared this sure-to-be scandal of a pregnant virgin. We don't know what would have happened if Mary had begged for someone else to take the job. Maybe it would have been somebody else who would bear the child, but no army can stop an idea whose time has come. But what we do know is that Mary, for whatever length of time, pondered and then said, let it be with me according to your word. What you said has stuck with me. And so for her, the next 33 years becomes this journey with her son while he shows her and the rest of the world this new kingdom, this new kingdom of radical, sacrificial, what the Bible calls agape love, this new covenant of humble, suffering love for God and for neighbor, this new way of life that can sometimes end you up on a cross. And maybe that's what Mary could see on that first and fateful Palm Sunday when Jesus made his way into Jerusalem. She could see this moment that like that angel of long ago, God in Christ was coming to his people seeking to implant a new idea, the new covenant, the new order of business, the new seed inside the womb of Israel that the way to life was this radical, sacrificial, agape love. Here's what it looks like, Jesus says, as he makes his way all the way to the cross. Here's the idea whose time has come. And if you don't receive it, well then maybe, maybe we'll start with the stones. That's it. We'll start with the stones if you won't receive it. 
We'll start with the stones and have them cry out. Jesus proclaims this new kingdom, this new idea, and he waits for someone to say, let it be with me according to your word. Let it be with me. That's really the crux of the matter, isn't it? It's this Palm Sunday question. Let it be with me. Who in this crowd of Palm Sunday waving, palm waving spectators is going to follow Jesus on his path of radical, sacrificial love? Who is going to follow him in surrendering yourself for the good of the world? Who is going to embark upon this path of looking not to your own interests, but to the interest of others? Who is going to take up the plight of the burden and the downtrodden and the castaways? Who is going to hear the invitation to visit the prisoner, to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, and say in response, let it be with me. It is the interruption of a lifetime. Said the French poet Arsène Houssay, tell me who you love, and I will tell you who you are. And Jesus tells us who he is, who God is, when he makes his way into the leper camps and into the brothels and into the prisons and into the refugee camps and into the dens of iniquity and says, you, you, you too are loved by God. You too are loved by God. And lest there be any mistake, let me put my hand upon your untouchable skin. Let me put my grace around your unpardonable sin. Let me put my heart around your unwelcomed status. Jesus turns and peers into our eyes and says, follow me. And leaves then this moment for us to respond. What's it going to be? Dare we take up this interruption of a lifetime and say, let it be with me according to your word. Let it be with me, this life of the other. Let it be with me, this life of the neighbor. No matter how scary, no matter how uncertain, no matter how non-reciprocal, no matter how different, no matter how opposed they are to my point of view, let it be with me, this life of the other. Let it be less about me and more about this other. Let your word stick with me. You remember the story of the two brothers who were farmers they farmed the same land and shared equally in the work and in the proceeds. Each had his own barn where he stored his own grain. And one of the brothers was married and had a large family. The other brother was single and lived alone. One day, the single brother got an idea. He said to himself, you know, it isn't fair that we divide the grain evenly. My brother has many mouths to feed and I have but one. I know what I'll do. I'll take a sack of grain from my granary and every evening I will put it into my brother's granary without him knowing it. So every night when it was dark, he carefully carried a sack of grain and put it into his brother's barn. Around the same time, the married brother got his idea. It isn't fair that we divide the grain evenly. I have children to care for me in my old age, and my brother has none. I know what I'll do. I will take a sack of grain from my granary each evening and put it into my brother's barn, which he did. And every morning, the two brothers woke up and realized that they still had the same amount of grain. <laughs> and one night, in the middle of the night, they met each other between the barns, carrying sacks of grain. And they realized, and they wept. And they laughed, and they embraced, and it is said that a light rain fall from heaven 
and they wondered if they were the joyful tears of God because finally someone got the idea. The idea whose time had come wasn't Deschardins who said someday after we have mastered the winds, the waves, the tides, and gravity, we shall harness, the, harness for God the energies of love. Then for the second time in the history of the world, we will have discovered fire. And isn't that the fire Jesus wants us to breathe? Isn't that the Palm Sunday question? Will you follow me to all those places where you'd prefer not to go? Will you follow me to the hard places, to the hard people, and take the risk to overcome yourself and surrender yourself to loving the unlovable? Charles Swindoll tells the story about a mother of eight who lived in Darlington, Maryland with her family and after visiting across the street with a neighbor walked home and when she walked into the kitchen she noticed her eight children huddled close together examining something. When she took a closer look she could see that they were examining a pack of baby skunks. <laughs> Instinctively the mother screamed, run children run! And with that each child grabbed a skunk and ran. <laughs> So grab a skunk, Jesus says, no matter how scary, no matter how stinky, no matter how foreign, no matter how far away, no matter how dangerous, grab a neighbor, grab a stranger, grab an enemy. For I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Maybe that's the word that Isladeen Abelesh heard. You may remember the name Isladeen Abelesh. He was the Palestinian doctor and father of eight living in the Gaza Strip. He practiced not just medicine there, however, he also practiced the art of peacemaking between Palestinians and Israelis crossing back and forth over the border to perform medicine on both sides. He incurred the wrath of his own people when he was serving his Israeli neighbors. And then came the day when Israeli shells tore into his apartment, killing three of his daughters and leaving one blind and one eye. What does a man do when such has been done to him? What Dr. Abelage did was write a memoir with the title, I Shall Not Hate. Says Dr. Abelage, the innocence of my girls must not be spoiled by my revenge. I can keep their memory living with only my good deeds. I shall not hate. And for the past 10 years, the good doctor has been grabbing the skunks of those who might seek him harm, of those who may wish him dead and loving in return. Let it be with me. According to your word, said the virgin of long ago. And so the seed was planted and so the idea has come, which no army can resist. And so the rabbi descends into the holy city on his mission to love those who will soon put him to death. And to we who wave our palms, he asks, will you follow?